Welcome, friends. You are listening to the podcast for First Christian Church in Fort Myers, Florida. To learn more, join us online at fccfm.org. It is a blessing to be able to share God's Word with you today. Thanks for joining us. We wrap this up today, and a few people have asked about that last line, yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen, because some of your Bibles don't say that. And uh, maybe there's a footnote at the bottom of your Bible that tells you why it's not in the Bible. And it's because uh, the earliest manuscripts don't have that. But some of the later manuscripts did. And it was a common practice in the early church to add a doxology, which just in the same way we, we say, in Jesus' name, amen. And so that doxology is found in other places in scripture. So scholars believe it probably was a practice of the early church, but it probably wasn't in the words that Jesus said, when you pray, say this prayer. So nothing wrong with saying it. You can find it in Revelation. We can find it a similar thing in the Old Testament. A lot of people prayed a doxology after their prayer, they added it on. But we're gonna wrap up six weeks of, uh, of this prayer. And this morning, I, I, I know you've maybe, we've heard this as the model prayer and we've heard it called the Lord's Prayer. I wanna give you another name for it this morning because I think it's, it, it should for us be the follower's prayer. And the reason I say that is because we're gonna ask God today to lead us. And if somebody's leading us, we have to be following. And there's a big difference between being a believer and being a follower. The, the demons believe. Being a believer is not that big a deal. But follower takes action. Believers recite this prayer. Followers implement this prayer. There's a difference. So we can stand all day and say, well, I believe in Jesus. I believe in Jesus. But if we don't follow him, if we don't understand the context of this teaching, then it really doesn't make a difference. And the context is in the Sermon on the Mount, and we've uh, talked about that a few times, that if you go back and read Matthew 5, 6, and 7, which I encourage you to do, I read through the whole thing again this morning, just as a reminder, this is Jesus saying, if you're going to follow me, if you're going to be in the kingdom, here's how you need to live. And followers say, yes, I will adjust my life to live like that. Believers go, oh, that's nice. (laughs) But they don't adjust anything. And so believers say, oh, I know that's what Jesus said. Yeah, but, remember that? Yeah, but I still have this in my life. And yeah, but I still like this. And yeah, but I still want to do this. That's being a believer. A follower says, your kingdom come, your will be done. And that means if I need to adjust my life, I'll adjust it. So this is a follower's prayer. You know, and and, uh, Jesus clarify the difference. I think it's in Matthew 16 uh, where he said, if you follow me, you're going to have to take up your cross. Nobody gets that tattoo. You know, everybody wants to hold up a John 3:16 sign for God so loved the world. Whoever believes in him, listen, believing doesn't just get it done. There has to be something that happens because we believe. And so in this prayer, if, if we move from being a believer to a follower, this prayer will change our lives. It'll have amazing impact. And today we want to look at the phrase as we walk through this process, that last phrase. That first one was, uh, if we look at the phases of this prayer, we started with identification. You know, that's our Father who art in heaven. And then we moved to adoration. Holy be your name. If we would spend a little bit of time there, the rest of the prayer would be much different. If we would just spend some time in acknowledging who God is, and giving him some praise for his holiness. 
Then that, that next step is the one of submission of your kingdom come, your will be done. And then the attitude in which it's done on earth as it is in heaven, which means, you know, we talked about like, put me in coach, man, God, whatever you want done, I want to be ready to do it. I want to be the guy, you know, use me. I want to, wherever I sense, wherever your spirit shows me, wherever your word shows me, something needs to change, man, I'm all over it. I want it to be done the same way it is in heaven. Then we move to that provision phase where it's like, give us this day, everything that I need today. And then last week we did the pardon phase, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. I hope that's been on your heart this week and you've been allowed to know some freedom from bitterness. Hope some wounds have become scars this week that you have a story now about what God's done in redeeming some things. But today we talk about the protection, this last phase, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And this is probably the most troublesome phrase in the prayer. Because we read that and you go, wait a second. So why do I have to ask God to not lead me in temptation? Is he gonna do that? I mean, is he really gonna lead me to some place that might, might trip me up? We need to understand that's not what it's, if we see this from the perspective of a follower, then we're saying, God, you just lead me where I need to go. And I know I'm in a fallen world and there's gonna be some temptation. God, you lead me and get me through it. In fact, we're told, read a couple of scriptures for you here. In James 1.13, it says, remember when you're being tempted, do not say God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong and he never tempts anyone else. First Corinthians 10, 13 says, the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience and God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you're tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. And that's that verse we misquote all the time, isn't it? That's the one where people are going through something say, now God won't give you more than you can stand. That's not what it says. It says God will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can stand. And that's so when we pray, lead us not into temptation. It's a similar prayer David had back in Psalm 141. David is praying and he says, God, don't let me drift toward evil or take part in acts of wickedness. Don't let me share in the delicacies of those who do wrong. So we're in this prayer as a follower. We're saying, God, man, I'm going to hang on to you. I'm going to stay close. But I know myself and I know this world. And so as you lead me, please just don't lead me too close. You know, when those things crop up, when, when temptation pops in, you lead me and you deliver me. And I know if I hang on to you, the 23rd Psalm, you're going to lead me in paths of righteousness for your namesake. And you're going to take me where I need to go. So I want to make a few observations and then some ways that we can deal with this, okay? Observation number one, number one about this, it is dangerous to deny or downplay Satan's existence. In our Western culture, we don't talk a lot about spirits. In Eastern cultures, spiritualism is a big thing. It's a daily part of life. They're very aware of this, but we don't talk about it much. We don't talk about the same way that Sean just mentioned, all the things that we see in the air, if it was the radio waves and blue teeth, blue teeth, Bluetooth teeth. I think the blue teeth is the blueberry pie thing. Yeah, this, the Bluetooth, the Bible says that there are spiritual beings all around us. And that there is a spiritual battle going on all around us. And yet we don't live in much awareness of that. If you're familiar with C.S. Lewis, he wrote a book called The Screwtape Letters. If you've never read it, you need to get it. And the, the premise of this book is that there's this head demon who has all of his little demons. And their job is to keep you from becoming believers or followers. 
They're okay if you're a believer because you're no threat. They want to keep from being followers. And so he sends them instructions. And one time he writes to one and he says this, I do not think you'll have much difficulty in keeping the patient in the dark. The fact that devils are predominantly comic figures in the modern imagination will help you. If any faint suspicions of your existence begin to rise in mind, suggest to him a picture of something in red tights and persuade him that since he cannot believe in that, he therefore cannot believe in you. We are in danger when we do not give Satan enough awareness. When we live as if he doesn't exist, we are in danger of crossing the line of temptation. In uh, the book of 1 Peter, Peter tells the believers there that Satan is like a what? Yeah, like a lion. Man, he's on the prowl. And lions aren't looking for somebody to pet them. They're looking for someone to devour. He says, be aware. He said, that's what Satan's like. And he just, when you're not expecting it, man, he's gonna pounce on you. So we have to live with this spiritual awareness. But the second danger is to give Satan a lot more power than he has. And sometimes we try to look at Satan as the, the opposite of God. And we go, well, God is this and Satan is this. It's yin and yang. Satan is nowhere near being like God. He's not the opposite of God. He doesn't have God's powers and abilities. If he had omniscience, he would know that he's already a loser and he would quit trying. But he doesn't even aware that he's been defeated, that when Jesus rose from the grave, death was defeated, Satan was defeated, but he just keeps trying. So we just need to understand, we don't want to give him too much power, but we want to be aware of him because we've been singing, fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. The scripture tells us, greater is he, the Holy Spirit that's in me, than he that's in the world. So we don't live in fear of Satan and the spiritual beings that are going, but we got to live in awareness of it. Because when we pray, lead me not into temptation, we live with an awareness that there are some things that tempt us. So let's talk about temptation for a minute. Temptation is not sin. Jesus was tempted. I've had people at times just say, Gary, I feel so bad, man. I was so tempted in this. I'm like, did you sin? No, but I was tempted. Everybody gets tempted. You know, it, it's not sin to be tempted. Now, it's sin if you keep going there, you know, and you finally cross the line. But just being tempted is not sin. The second thing about temptation is it's always more dangerous than we think. I love Andy Stanley said, temptation is the threshold to great loss. Following Jesus is the threshold to great life. When we say, lead me not in temptation, we are saying, God, in my journey today, as I follow you, there's going to be times where there's some doors open. Don't let me stop and look. Don't let me stop and linger. God, when we're at that threshold, we know that we're tempted and we know what it is and we're just like one step away from either crossing the threshold to sin or one step away from following Jesus away from it. And we have those choices every day. And when this becomes a part of our day, when we get up in the morning with this prayer, God, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from the evil one, that will be reminded us and the spirit will bring that back to us and he will lead us through and pass those situations. Number three, temptation is always positional. Whatever temptation is on your brain right now, you know when and how it happens. We have a pantry at our house. And in that pantry, uh, we watch the grandkids during the summer and after school. There's a lot of food that is grandkid food, but it's not pop food. 
shouldn't be food for pups. But at about 8.30 every night, there's a weird thing that happens. <laughs> I get off the couch and I start through the kitchen just casually. <laughs> and Linda says, where are you going? I said, and I'll grab my cup, my Yeti that says, I'm going to get a drink. Because the fridge is right around the corner from the pantry. And so it crossed my mind just to get something to drink, but then I'll slide back to the pantry and it doesn't matter how much WD-40 has been put on that door, <laughs> the pantry squeaks and I'll open the pantry and she'll say, what are you doing? I'll say, just looking, <laughs> just looking. And then I walk back to the couch with Pop-Tarts or Oreos or potato chips. And she says, you, you said you don't want to eat that. I go, quit buying it. I'm not going to get off the couch and go to Publix, <laughs> but I will go to the pantry. Temptation is always positional. It's always about proximity. And this goes back to the Garden of Eden. Eve took the fruit and gave it to Adam and said, let's eat this. Do you know what the line is before that? She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious. You know where the tree was? In the middle of the garden. Why was she going there? God said, I put the fruit of the tree you're not supposed to eat in the middle of the garden. Don't eat that. Why was she every day walking by the tree going, geez, that looks nice. Have you seen that tree? Stay away. Temptation will always be positional. And every one of us right now know what your pantry is. You know that's just a metaphor, right? I mean, it's real at our house, but it's just a metaphor for you. You know what your pantry is. You know if it's the computer or if it's a substance or if it's a relationship. You know what your pantry is. Temptation will always be positional. Temptation will also involve both truth and a lie. You know, to Eve, I, you know, you don't really die, you'll be wise. For us, it'll be like, you know, you know, you know how much fun this is gonna be, which is true. The lie, nobody will know, it won't hurt anything. This won't bother you. One more time won't matter. There's always a truth and a lie with temptation. So how do we win? What do we do when the pantries pop up in our life? Well, the first step is just to be equipped. If I'm gonna say, declare, and at some point all of us need to declare, God, I'm not be content with just being a believer. Just showing up and say, do you believe me? You know, the reason this has been so in my brain, I just realized a few weeks ago, Jesus never asked anybody to believe in him. But when he went up to him, what did he say? Follow me. What have we done in the church in the last 20 years? Believe in Jesus, believe in Jesus. Man, we need to raise the bar. We need to understand believing in Jesus is great, but that's just the starting point. Your life does not change till you start following Jesus, till you start moving, letting him lead your life. That's when the change happens. So what's the first step in dealing with temptation? We gotta be equipped to follow. We talked about this a few weeks ago when we were in the study on the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 6. I'm just gonna read a few verses for you. I think I'm supposed to start at verse 12. For we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth 
and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you'll be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. When I say, God, lead me not in temptation, then my role is to be equipped when it happens and to follow him. Some of us spend more time getting ready to go to the gym and work out than we ever do to walk through the day with God. And we gotta make sure the, the outfit's right, the shoes are right, the hair's right, or if, we're, if it's gonna be golf, man, we gotta have everything. Whatever sport, whatever we give our time to, we make sure we are equipped and ready except for following Jesus. Every day, we get up and we get dressed and you get equipped. And so that we can say with confidence, lead me not into temptation. And you're like, yeah, I got this today because I'm ready. And I know Jesus is gonna lead me the place I need to go and I'm not gonna be stopped and I'm not gonna be distracted. Number two, <laughs> this is kind of a weird one. Ask God to bless your temptation. And this is just a way to, to stall for a moment so that you can move away from temptation. But when you're tempted to something, ask yourself, would God bless this? So what I mean is, you're like, you know, just say it out loud. Hey, God, I'm getting ready to go out and get hammered with my friends. Would you bless our time together? Maybe not. Hey, God, I'm getting ready to go flirt with somebody that, that I shouldn't flirt. Hey, God, I'm getting ready to sleep with somebody that's not my spouse. Would you just bless this? Hey, God, I'm getting ready to say some really mean and hateful things and gossip about somebody. Would you just bless what I'm about to do? Hey, God, I'm getting ready to put something in my body, whether it's from the pantry or some chemical. Or, hey, would you just bless what I'm about to do? Do you understand if we start asking God to bless stuff that you know is a temptation, but you know it's wrong, it gives you a chance to stop and to move away from it. Because then we go, God's not gonna bless that. Satan, get behind me. I'm not gonna buy into the lie of the temptation. If we ask God to bless the terrible things, we'll suddenly realize how terrible they are and we'll move on past them. Number three, just be aware of what's at stake. This is serious. Serious enough that Jesus would die for it to deliver us from evil. I don't think God takes it lightly when we flirt with temptation. I don't think God takes it lightly when we step across the threshold and back and say, oh God, I'm sorry, forgive me. Oh God, oh God, I'm sorry, forgive me. Oh God, I don't think he takes it lightly when we just flaunt his grace. Because Jesus died for this. And I think he takes it seriously when we say, God, lead me not into temptation. And I think he says, "Then, well then follow. And I'll deliver you from those things. And the fourth thing, it's when we do step across the threshold, we need to know the trail back because we've all been there. We've all know that we've crossed that threshold and we've done something that God would not bless. We know it's sin. We know it's wrong. And we beat ourselves up. But how do we, how do we move back? Let me just give you four quick steps. Number one, name the sin. No more excuses. No more, well, I've done this a thousand times, so maybe it's not so bad. Other people in culture do it. It wasn't my fault. I don't know. You know, or, or any of you old enough to remember Flip Wilson, the devil made me do it, excuse. You know, those things that we all, let's quit making excuses. Let's name the sin. And say, this is sin. And it does not honor God. And it is not following God. And so step one coming back is just to name the sin. Number two is to confess to God and to someone else. That gets hard. 
But the last hold that Satan has on us in our sin is secrecy. Because when we feel like confessing it and being delivered from it, what will Satan whisper? You really want people to know that? Everybody's going to find out. It's going to be so embarrassing. But the last hold, and and I say make this somebody that you trust. (laughs) And not a lot of people. Make this somebody that you trust. But but confess it to God and then confess it to someone. Say, can you just hear something from me? I'm not asking for you to go, oh, it's not that. I just need you to, to hear this and then to ask me once in a while how I'm doing so I've got some accountability in this. Just you and me. Nobody else needs to know about this. Number three, repent. Now, we need to understand that, and this is huge in being a follower, because if we repent of something, we talked about this a few weeks ago, that repenting means movement. And in my sin, I am moving away from God and what he wants to do. To repent means to change directions and to move toward God. And to confess our sin and to still to stand in it doesn't do a lot of good. To confess our sin and still stand looking through the door of temptation and leave ourselves right there in proximity in the position where we'll sin again. But if when we confess our sin, we'll say, God, I repent, that means I'm going to move away from that. I'm not going to be a part of that anymore. I don't want that a part of my life. I'm going to move to begin to following Jesus. Repentance means change and it means motion. Number four is just grab the leader. Lead me, grab the leader. I was in Russia a few decades ago on a mission trip and there were a large group of us and we were heading someplace in Moscow and we were all on a bus and uh, when the police stop you in Russia, it's kind of an event. I mean, you know, major guns are involved. And so they come on the bus and we had, we had a big group so the bus seats were full but then there were people standing and they said, you can't stand up on the bus That was a new law to our bus driver, but that day it must have been the law. So uh, we said eight of us have to get off. And I told Lynn, I said, you stay on the bus. I'm going to get off because we're the leaders and that's what you do. You sacrifice yourself. So we got off the bus, four of us and four interpreters. So we flagged down a guy that had a van and he was going to give us a ride. We were going to pay him. So we're in a van and we get in the middle of this highway and we're still about an hour away from where we're going and the van breaks down. So we get off the van, and he's going, no, no, stay, another van, be here, a couple of hours, be fine. That wasn't even a Russian accent, was it? I don't even know what made me do that. But we, so we're, and so we asked the interpreters, we're like, what do we do? And they said, well, there's a subway about a mile away. We could walk to the subway, take the subway, but it's very dangerous. And so if we do that, each of you need to hold each of our hands, take one of us, and do not let go. That was not a problem. When we went down in the subway under Moscow, my interpreter, she probably, her hand hurt afterwards because I was not about to let go. And there was crowds of people and trains coming and going and getting on trains and getting off trains. And they said, just, even if the door starts closing, get off with us. And so it was very intense, but we knew our safety was in holding on to our leader. If we could just grasp that each day of our life. When we pray this prayer and say, Jesus, lead me not into temptation, he's saying, okay, hang on. If you'll hang on, I will deliver you. And you may have some temptation because we're going to walk by some of those dangerous places, but if you'll hold on, I will deliver you. I saw a picture. I've told some of the staff we've been looking. I can't find it. Maybe I dreamed it. I don't know. But the picture was Jesus walking down a lane with a rock wall on each side and the sheep were following him but he was leaning over and closing a gate 
And the picture was, if we follow the shepherd, he'll make sure the gates are closed through which we would wander. And if we say, lead me not of temptation, we stay on the leader, we stay on the shepherd, and he closes those gates and he delivers us. We don't need the words. Let's say that prayer one more time that we've been doing, okay? The Lord, oh no, I just started Psalm 23 I was just talking about. (laughs) Well, maybe we do need the words. Let's do the 23rd Psalm. Let us know. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. That's what we're invited to. That's what we need to take advantage of. If you're joining us online, we want to pray for you. We want to be here for you in any way that we can. If you need anything from us in any way, please reach out and uh, share with us. In the house, if we can pray for you, anything this morning, there'll be people at the cross when we're done, and uh, just come and let us share. If you wanna know the freedom of deliverance for the very first time, maybe you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you have been checking us out, and maybe you've been believing. You say, you know, but I've never stepped up and said I wanna be a follower. Man, when everybody else goes this way in a few minutes, you come down here. We would love to talk to you about that and the beauty of that deliverance. A few things to make you aware of before we go. One, if you're not aware, the rains have started. Everybody good with that? What just happens when the rain starts? Grass grows, right. I just wanna thank Tim and Jim, our faithful yard people, because they're out here in the mornings in this heat and they're doing the whole complex. Listen, on Wednesday mornings at eight o'clock, we could use one or two more people. If you can hold a weed eater or push a lawnmower, We'd love to have you at eight o'clock. You just show up on property and we'll put you in touch with them. We could use some more help, okay? So if that's your gig, if you love mowing grass, eight o'clock, Wednesday morning, there's a building right behind us back here. That's where they will have the garage door open and the lawnmower's out. So be a part of that. Second thing, next Sunday, we start a new series on relationships. It's Rector Restored. And look at that byline, how to heal or heal from your broken relationships. Anybody ever had a broken relationship? Yeah, I think it's pretty much going to touch all of us. We're going to kick that off next week. So you want to be here for those four weeks as we have that series. And uh, it's going to be a lot of a lot of good come from that. And the third thing, exciting thing, the second week of September, we go to two full hours of worship and connection groups again. Full children's ministry, full tilt everything. So I know we're, we're finally getting past some of this and we want to give opportunity. And here's, here's the big part of that. Some of you have been so frustrated in the last year because you want to serve. You know that's part of being a part of the church, but you can't because you want to be in here. When we have two hours, it allows you to serve one hour and worship the other. And so you don't miss anything. So we're going to be letting you know the needs, the 80 or 90 or 150 people we need to pull off each service. And you're going to have opportunity to find that place that floats your boat. 
and that uh, you want to serve, and you'll be hearing more about that in weeks to come. But write it down. The second week of September, we go to two full hours, and it's going to be an exciting time. Let's stand. Let me pray us out of here, and then this week, make this a part of your life, uh, the followers' prayer, okay? God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the church, your bride. I thank you for the love that we feel in this place. Uh, I thank you for these ladies we have celebrated today and for their commitment to you. God, I pray for this week. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil as we follow you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Have a great week. We pray this message has been a blessing to you. If we can pray for you or encourage you in any capacity, please let us know at FCCFM.org.